Welcome, so glad that you're here. My name's Jake, I'm one of the pastors on the team here. If you have your Bible, you can head over to Matthew 22. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. Holiday crowd, excited that you're here. South Campus, online campus, you guys ready to get into the Word? All right, let's get into it. A couple weeks ago, uh, my family went to the lake with my side of the family. My dad got this uh, Airbnb and my three brothers who were local took their families and I took my tribe and it was just a really, really fun time. We did a lot of tubing and fishing and things like that. But before we went on this trip, we were sitting around the dinner table and my kids, my six kids, really haven't been around this side of the family much because we lived far away from here, and then we just adopted three kids, and so none of them really know these people, and so we were talking through, like, names, and this is who this person is, and, you know, trying to prep them for the trip, you know what I mean, and I made a cheat sheet, and no, I'm kidding, I didn't make a cheat sheet, but... I just remember that we were talking through each person going on the trip, and, and my daughter Marie had just really just one question about each person. We talk about this person, she'd go, yeah, 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 but is he a kid person? <laughs> yeah, but is she a kid person? Are they kid people? And I knew exactly what she was talking about because I found over my life, I've had this realization that there are kid people and there are not so much kid people, Right? I mean, there are people who love hanging out with kids and talking to kids and wrestling with kids and playing games with kids. And there are people who might be really good and into fighting for kids and providing for kids and protecting kids and even teaching kids. They just don't want to hang out with them. You know what I'm saying? And you're either a kid person or you're not, you know? You just can't help it, really. You're just a kid person or you're not. And you know that about yourself. I'm a kid person. I 100%, I like kids. I don't want your kids, you know, like I'm not offering to babysit. I got enough. I'm just saying I like kids, you know, I like hanging out with kids and wrestling with kids. And I like to hear kids talk. I think it's funny, you know, I like, I like that. And so, but I like my kids more than your kids. But anyways, you know, even though I'm a kid person, I love my kids. There are things that my kids do that just tick me off. Are you, do you guys, is, is that just a me thing or are there parents that would say, yeah, there's some things that tick my, yeah, somebody like real quick was like, I know, I really am mad at my kids. Now, there's some things that tick my, one thing that ticks me off about my kids that my kids do is that, is when they take what I say as like a suggestion. You know what I'm saying? And that really kind of makes daddy mad, you know? So I'm like, hey. Would you go clean your room real quick? And they're like, no, I'm going to do that later. I'm like, those fighting words, all right? I'm like, let me rephrase. And then I say what you say. I wasn't really asking, right? I know I phrased it as a question. That was just me trying to be nice. Really, it's a command. Go clean your room. You know, let me rephrase. Eat your broccoli. Do I have to? Yep. Thought that was inherent in the command I just issued. Eat your broccoli. It's one of those things that kids do, right? They, they kind of take what you say as suggestions, and you kind of got to go, wait a second. Uh, this isn't a suggestion. But you know what I found is that it's not just a kid thing, that I do this too with the commands from my wife. No, I'm kidding. With the commands of Jesus, <laughs> That sometimes I take the commands of Jesus 
as suggestions for good living. Like, hey, like Jesus is saying, hey, if you do this, your life will be better. You know, like it'll be better if you do this thing. I'm telling you, like it'll be better. But it's up to you. You know, it's not a big deal. You don't have to do it. Like I can kind of pick and choose the commands of the Bible that I listen to. And once I start treating God's commands as suggestions, it's really easy for me to start making excuses about why I can't do the thing that I feel like God is kind of suggesting that I do. My kids do this too. Like they go straight from thinking I'm making a suggestion to making excuses. Like I can't clean my room because it's too hard. Daddy, my hands are small. And my room has a lot of stuff in it. It's going to take all day. I can't do it. I can't clean my room because I got to go play. And we just started a game and I can't do it. I don't have enough time, Daddy. I can't clean my room because princesses don't clean their rooms and I'm a princess. <laughs> they got to make these excuses, right? Excuses are things that we say are barriers. And at one time, in some way, they probably were a real barrier. But now they just... They don't pass the sniff test, you know what I'm saying? I just don't make a lot of sense. And there's a point in, with kids, or at least there was with my kids, where excuses were pretty funny, right? Like, when they're real little, they don't know how to make excuses, and so they just tell you like it is, which is my favorite stage of life in kids. Where you just ask them, and they just tell you, like, straight up. They don't know how to make an excuse. An excuse Like, why did you hit your sister? Because she made me mad, and I wanted her face to hurt. <laughs> okay, I can deal with that. That's a real reason. You know, that's not an excuse. Why aren't you eating your meal? I hate it. All right, we got somewhere to start. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. But then they get a little older, and they start trying to make excuses and they're not really good at it, you know, in the beginning. And so my kids like to say they accidentally did something because I know that's a key word, you know. Like I, like I didn't do it on purpose. They know they want, like that's important to tell dad that this was an accident, you know. Like I don't know what happened. You know how like my room normally doesn't have a hole in it, in the wall? Like accidentally now there's a hole. I don't know. You know, they just throw the word accidentally out like that. Like a few years ago, my son Joshua, he was like six or something and, we sometimes around our dinner table, we'll, we'll do highs and lows. You know, what's your high today? What's your low today? Talk through that. And Joshua said his low was that he had, he had to go to his room. Mom put him in time out in his room. I said, oh, what happened? And he said, well, I, I accidentally flooded the playroom. We had this room above our garage that had a sink. It's like a bonus room, had a sink in it. And I was like, really? You accidentally flooded the playroom? Like, how did that accidentally happen, you know? And he goes, well, I put towels in the sink and I just started. I just ran the water. I was like, that doesn't sound like an accident. I flooded the playroom. Hannah wanted me to. She's like two, you know. He's like, Hannah wanted me to give her a bath. It was an accident. Doesn't sound like an accident, Joshua. Doesn't pass the sniff test. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes I find myself making excuses with God's commands and they're tied to some barrier, some issue that I've had in the past, but they're no less lame as the ones I've been going through. And, 
And when we look at all the commands of God, there's really one that kind of rises above the rest. It's called the great commandment, all right? It shows up a few times in the Bible, but look at Matthew 22. A, a lawyer puts Jesus on the spot. He goes, what's the greatest commandment? I mean, it's a pretty interesting question after all, because there's a lot of laws, a lot of commandments in the Bible. Pretty interesting. Like, what's the greatest one? Like, there's a ton of them. What's the greatest commandment? Something worth knowing. And look at Jesus' answer in verse 37 of Matthew 22. He said to them, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend, some versions say, hang all of the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So there it is, like the great commandment, like the, the, the one that's most important. And, and we're in this series called Like a Good Neighbor. We're talking about how we need to love, how we can love our literal neighbors, the people we live next to, the people we work next to, the people we work out next to, our literal neighbors as ourselves. But really that's like the, the, the love your neighbor as yourself part is like the second part of this, right? And the, the first part is love God with all that you have, heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then Jesus goes, everything else hangs on these two commandments, on both. Have you ever hung a door before? Like, I'm not the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree when it comes to, you know, manual labor or fixing things. I'm probably totally, the light is totally out. But anyways, I know that, you know, if you try to hang a door with only like one hinge, it's probably not going to work super great, right? You need at least two hinges, to hang a door for it to function properly, right? That's how this is too. Like none of us would say that loving God with everything we have is optional, would we? I mean, we wouldn't say that and call ourselves Christ followers. Like, oh, oh, you know, you can love God or not. It's kind of up to you and you can still be a Jesus follower. No, none of us would say that. And yet we, we treat the second part of this command like it is optional, like, yeah, it's a good idea, but I don't really have to love my neighbor as myself. As long as I love God, I'm fine. And we try to hang this door on one hinge and it doesn't work properly. Loving God is the top hinge and loving your neighbor is the bottom hinge. In other words, loving God and loving your neighbor, it can't be separated. You can't separate these two things because Jesus said, this whole, the whole law and the prophets, everything hangs on both of these. It's not just a good idea or a suggestion. But oftentimes I, I kind of look at it like, that way. Like it'd be better, you know, I'd be a better Christian if I loved my neighbor as myself. But at least I love God. It's fine. It's fine. If I'm not carefully, I can immediately allow these barriers that are in my mind to become excuses that keep me from doing what God wants me to do and I end up hanging a door on one hinge and it just doesn't work and I go that's not my calling that's for somebody else that's somebody else's thing I don't really have to do that like one one excuse that pops into my head at this point is this I don't have enough time right like when I was 
preparing for this series and we were kind of coming up with it conceptually and all that, I was, I was convicted and convinced that this is what we're supposed to do. But immediately that excuse came into mind. I just don't have a lot of time. Like I, I just don't have it. I, I feel like I don't have time for this. I mean, we are such a busy culture and we wear busyness as a badge of honor because we think to be, you know, to be busy is to be needed and vital and all of that. And so we're just so, and I, man, I have this problem too. I struggle with this. Too busy for church, too busy to parent like we know we're supposed to parent, too busy to open the Bible, too busy to be there, too busy to stop and help somebody on the side of the road, too busy to love my literal neighbor as myself. I just don't have enough time. Think about that for a second. Kind of sounds like some people have more time than others, right? Like some people have been given like 32 hours a day and some people have 26. And I got stuck with 24. I don't have enough. I just don't have enough time. But that's not the way it works, right? All of us are given the same amount of time. All of us have 24 hours in a day. And I'm the only person that decides what I do with my time. The truth is everyone makes time for what they value most. My problem is that I value too many things, you know? Like I, I put too much value on too many things. There are so many good things that we could do. I mean, most of us aren't like choosing between murdering our neighbors and loving our neighbors, right? I mean, I, have you guys passed the murder test? I'm not sure. But if you're tempted to murder your neighbors, we got another problem. But most of us, we're not, it's not that black and white. It's not between murdering and loving. It's, it's between some, some like really, really good stuff and what God wants me to do. You hear what I'm saying? It's not that clear. It's not that black and white. Oftentimes it's good things that get in the way of God things. Last week, Jeffrey did a great job teaching from Luke 10 and the parable of the Good Samaritan here at South, right after the parable of the Good Samaritan, right after Jesus says to inherit eternal life, you should just do the great commandment. Jesus goes to a lady named Martha's house and her sister is there. Her name is Mary. You heard this story before? Martha and Mary. Yeah, they go, he goes to their house and, and Mary just kind of sits at Jesus's feet and just listens to him teach but verse 40 of Luke 10 says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Distracted with serving Jesus. She's in the kitchen while Mary's just sitting at Jesus' feet doing nothing. I mean, it's the Messiah. She's trying to get everything ready, right? And, and she basically goes to Jesus and she kind of tells on Mary, Martha does. And Martha goes, hey, can you get my sister to help me? Because I'm like doing stuff and she's just sitting there. And if we're honest, most of us are team Martha, aren't we? I mean, if you don't know the end and you don't know what you're supposed to think, right? You're team Martha. You're going, yeah. Mary needs to get up. Mary needs to do the dishes. Mary needs to help. Mary needs to serve. But Jesus actually ends up correcting softly and lovingly, correcting Martha, the one who was serving, not Mary, the one who was sitting. The point is that they had the same amount of time and they had the same choice. And neither choice was inherently evil, right? Right? 
Neither was inherently bad. They were choosing between a good thing and a God thing. That's the way it is with the great commandment. Like making time for the great commandment to love God and my neighbor as myself. It's about choosing the God thing over the good thing. If I'm not careful, I can, I can opt for a thousand good things and miss the one God thing I'm supposed to be chasing after. Loving him. And loving my literal neighbor, people that he has sovereignly and providentially placed me next to as myself. I can fill my life with so much stuff that I've got no shot at actually carrying out the great commandment. I just go, I'm too busy. I'm in a hurry and I miss it. John Ortberg says it this way. He says, love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time. And time is the one thing hurried people don't have. That's the first barrier, the first excuse, or at least my first excuse with this. It's, I just don't have enough time. I do nothing. Maybe you can relate. Another one is this. I, it's just too difficult for me. Like when you talk about loving your neighbor, it's just too difficult. Like, like Jake, you don't understand. My neighbors are crazy. Like, they are weird. They do weird stuff. Like, I, how am I supposed to love? Like, my neighbor, he mows his yard every week with his shirt off, but it still looks like he has a shirt on. You know what I'm saying? How can I love sweater back neighbor? I don't know how I can love him. I walked over, and I was going to tell him. I was going to be like, why are you wearing a sweater? And I realized it wasn't a sweater, you know. Not really my story. I don't have a neighbor like that. I can't love my neighbor. My neighbors are smashed at like 5 p.m. Yeah, I can't love them. My neighbors are Buddhist. My neighbor, my neighbor is so, like, just has so much drama, Jake. I don't want to let that drama in my life. I don't have any time for it. It's just too hard. After I preached at North last week, somebody, a couple came up and talked to me about how their neighbor would take, would take their dog's, like, their dog's um, droppings and would throw it into their yard in the backyard just with a shovel, just like, shh, shh, shh. How do you love somebody so diabolical, you know? It's like, what is going on? These people are hard to love. I'm joking a little bit, but neighboring like this really is difficult. I mean, there are some real concerns, some real like obstacles to overcome. But what I've found over the years, and you see if this kind of fits in your story, but what I've found over the years is that a lot of those obstacles and those things that I've got in my head and those impressions and perceptions, that really they're just in my head. They're not real. You know, I kind of psych myself out beforehand. And then when I actually get to know my neighbor, I figure out like I, my thought about them wasn't right. Like these ideas, like I, they make me feel uncomfortable or they don't like me or they, they're this or they're full of drama or whatever else. A lot of those don't really jive with reality once you get to know your neighbors. And when I've gotten to know my neighbors, I figure out they have some weird assumptions about me too, right? It goes both ways. But maybe you're like, yeah, but it's still hard. I mean, it's still difficult, and I still don't think I can do it. It's just too hard. Yeah, loving God with all that you have and loving your neighbor as yourself, your literal neighbors, those God has put you next to, that's hard. It's difficult. But I was thinking about this this week. See, see what you think about it. 
does the difficulty of a thing have any bearing on whether it's from God or not? Think about that. Does the difficulty of a thing have any bearing on whether it's right, worthwhile, from God or not? I don't think it does. Because we as Christ followers, we're not even supposed to be doing whatever it is God is calling us to do out of our own strength anyways, right? And so it doesn't really make sense. So this idea that, well, if it's God's will, then it'll be smooth and easy and the door open and everything will click into place and I'll be fine and I won't have any problems. That idea is like just foreign to the scriptures. Just absolutely foreign to the scriptures. There's this moment in... Numbers chapter 13 that kind of makes this point uh, really good. Maybe you've heard this account before, but it's when God using Moses has led the people of Israel out of Egypt through like signs and wonders and amazing things. I mean, parting of the Red Sea and before that the 10 plagues and, and they're rich because the Egyptians just gave them all their stuff on their way out. I mean, it's this crazy, crazy, miraculous story. And Moses leads the people of Israel all the way in Numbers 13 up to the promised land for the first time, all right? God had basically promised the Israelites their own nation. They didn't have a nation to this point. And, and so he leads them up there for the first time. And, and the problem is that there's other people living in this land. And so God goes, you got to take the land. You got to go take it. And so they gather together and they get one representative from each of the 12 tribes. And they send these spies over to spy out the land. You remember this story? They send the spies to spy out and they come back and most of the spies give a bad report. They go, the cities are fortified, they're strong, like it's too hard for us, we can't do this. And then verse 30 of Numbers 13, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are, and then they go on to say, like, that the people are giants. We're we're grasshoppers to them, and so Caleb and later we find out Joshua. They're going, God can do this. Let's do this. But ten of the spies are now. Nah, we can't do it. We don't. We're not able. They're focused on their own abilities. Right? It's too hard. And later Joshua goes, hey, listen, if God wants us to do this, we could just do it. Let's just do it. If God's in it, let's just go. I mean, he's got a different perspective, right? He's going, he's, okay, the people are big, but are they bigger than God? I mean, the people are strong, but are they stronger than God? You see how the perspective is different for Joshua and Caleb? For a Christ follower, the question isn't, is this too hard for me? The question is, is this too hard for God? And the answer to that second question is always no. It's absolutely not. Not for the God who spun galaxies into existence and knows the number of hairs on your head, no matter how few that may be. God absolutely can. So I don't have enough time and it's just too difficult for me. These are the barriers these are the excuses that so easily pop into my head and out of my mouth. And, man, they don't pass the sniff test, do they? I mean, not when you realize 
who God is and how he works. And not when you realize that this isn't a suggestion, it's a command to love our literal neighbors who God has sovereignly and providentially placed me next to. It doesn't really pass the sniff test. Not when you realize that all of scripture, Jesus says, hangs on both of these commands. Love God with all that you are, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you try to hang this door on one hinge, you're just going to get frustrated, right? If I let my excuses win and I treat the second hinge, the second part of the great command as a suggestion, then I'll just end up with a door that doesn't work. And here's the thing. And this is so, so important. I want you to hear this. If the great commandment is the two hinges on which this door depends, on which it hangs, then this door has to lead somewhere, right? I mean, where does this door lead? Luke 10, a different lawyer. We talked about Matthew 22 earlier. A different lawyer in Luke 10 comes up to Jesus and goes, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? That's his question. He asked the question that everybody wants to know. They may not ask Jesus. They may not ask a person. They may just scream it out to nobody. They may ask it in a different way, but everybody wants to know the answer to this question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Here's another way to say it. Where is the door to life? How do I get to life? Where's the door? That's what the lawyer is asking. Where's the door? Point me in the right direction. And this time in Luke 10, Jesus goes, what do you think it is? I mean, what, where do you think the door is? How do you think you inherit eternal life? And it's the lawyer who then says the great commandment. He goes, well, you got to love God with all that you have, you know, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you got to love your neighbor as yourself. He gets it right. These are the two hinges that this hangs on. Matthew 22, all the law and the prophet hang on these two things. He gets it right. Now look at Jesus' reaction, Luke 10, 28. He goes, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Whoa. Did you hear what Jesus just said? I mean, he answered the question that every human being asks at some point, right? He says that both parts of the great commandment lead to life. He goes, loving God and loving your neighbor leads to life. Jesus answered the question every human being wants to know the answer to. He goes, this is the door. This is it. You want life? Do you want eternal life? Do you want to avoid death? Do you want all that I've come to bring you? This is the door. Love God with all you have and love your neighbor as yourself. This is it. The door leads to life, Jesus says. In other words, man, it's, it's worth it, right? I mean, it's absolutely worth it. Uh, are there obstacles and difficulties that easily become excuses that I use not to do that? Absolutely, but it's, it's worth it. Following this command, like really selling out to love God and love our literal neighbors as ourselves, it's absolutely worth it. It's worth getting past the too busy excuse, right? I don't have enough time. It's, I'm just too busy. It's worth getting past that, too busy to love my neighbor, or too busy, like Martha was thinking, to 
to spend time with Jesus. You remember Mary and Martha from earlier? Martha's working in the kitchen, working her fingers to the bone, man, trying to get things ready for the Messiah. I mean, rightfully so. She wants it to be really, really good. Mary's just chilling, sitting at Jesus' feet, doing nothing, it seems like. And so Martha goes to Jesus, tells on Mary, goes, hey, can you get my sister to help me? Most of us are team Martha. Like, come on, Mary, get to work. But Jesus sides with Mary and says, no, 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 Martha. Here's what he says in verse 41. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Everybody say one thing. Just one thing. Look at the rest. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. There's only one thing. Just one Door, one good portion. I mean, I guess there are other portions and they look really, really good. They seem like they're equal to the good portion. They look so good. They seem good enough. Like, well, Jesus, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do the love your neighbor as yourself thing, but I'm doing this other stuff. Like, I'm not going to do that, Jesus, but I'm doing this over here. I'm doing a lot. I mean, isn't that good enough? The other portions look good, but really there's only one good portion. And it's so good. I mean, it leads to life. It's so good. All that you want, all that you long for, all the desires in your heart that God placed there, this leads to that. Loving God and loving your neighbor. The great commandment, two hinges on a door that leads to life. It's worth it. It's worth spending time changing your life, rearranging your life in order to do it. It's absolutely worth everything you can give to it. It's worth it. It's worth not giving up before you get started by saying, you know, it's too difficult, like the spies said. The 10 spies, you remember those from Numbers 13? 10 gave a bad report, they're too big. We're like grasshoppers, not gasshoppers, that's something different. We're like grasshoppers, we're not gonna be able to do it. The the cities are fortified, it's too hard. We're not gonna be able to do it. Caleb and Joshua go, God's got this, he's got this. Nothing's too hard for him. Well, in Numbers 13, the Israelites don't enter the promised land. You know, the people listen to the fear and the excuses of the 10 spies over the two that had faith and they don't go into the promise. And you know what happens next? Nothing. For 40 years. For 40 years, God makes that generation walk a big circle in the desert for 40 years. And every other person in that generation dies besides Joshua and Caleb. And they are the ones that God chooses to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. Everybody else missed it. Let me say it this way. Have you ever heard of these guys? Shemua, Shaphat, Egal, Paltai, Gadiel, Gadai, Amiel, Sether, Nabi, Geuel. Have you ever heard, the, ever heard of these guys? Like, have you... Have you met anybody named Shamua lately? 
Like, did you, when you were having your kids, were you, was that like top five? You're like, we might name her Shamua. You know? These are, the, these are the greatest leaders in Israel in Numbers 13. Of ten tribes. The leaders of ten tribes. Those chosen to go across. These are ten spots. And you go, maybe I, maybe I haven't heard their names because they're Hebrew, right? Like, well, I don't name my kids a Hebrew name, so maybe I don't. It's just because they're Hebrew. These are Hebrew names too. Joshua. Caleb. Have you ever heard those names? Know anybody named Joshua or Caleb? Maybe named your kids Joshua or Caleb? Absolutely. They were the ones that got the promise. They were the ones that got to lead the others into the promised land. You see, you can choose to say it's too hard, man. It's just too hard. We can use that excuse when it comes to neighboring and loving our literal neighbors as ourselves. I can focus on the difficulty of it and say maybe it's not God because it's so hard. I can do that. I can think about how I don't measure up to the task because I don't. Man, I'm like a grasshopper compared to how difficult this thing is. We can do that, but it won't lead to life. It won't lead to that Luke 10, 28 life that Jesus talked about. But if we choose to trust God's strength over our own, if we choose to trust God's wisdom in his plan over our own, if we choose to trust God over me, then we get the promised land. We get the blessing. We get life like Joshua and Caleb. But hear me, it's bigger than that. It's not just us that gets life. We don't walk through the door on which, you know, uh, the, the door that hangs on these two commands. We don't walk through it alone. There's people coming behind us. We get to lead other people to the promise. And imagine the hope that we can provide. Imagine the hope that we can lead people to if we would just love our literal neighbors as ourselves. Imagine the change this world would see, the city would see. We get to be like Joshua and Caleb. Well, let's not, let's not leave this theoretically. Let's talk about, like, or theoretical. Let's talk about a simple way to actually do this. This is our BLESS initiative. When we talk about BLESS at Beltway, we're not just talking about, like, in general, go bless somebody. We generally, are we, we're just talking about specifically doing these things. We've made it into an acronym. It stands for Begin With Prayer, Listen with care, eat together, serve with love, share your story. And so bless is kind of, and we've got some magnets out on some tables in the foyer. Grab it so you can kind of get it into you. But we're all about this bless initiative. But this, this map, this kind of represents your literal neighbors, okay? Obviously the houses next to you, but also everybody has a second neighborhood, right? Like, like your work, the gym, your school, whatever. You got this second neighborhood. People, God has put you around on a regular basis this is them. And so last week we were talking about our action steps being just that you could find out some neighbors' names and begin praying with them, right, for them. Begin praying for them. So we started with begin with prayer. This week our action steps have to do with these next two, the L and the E of blessed, listen and eat. So it's not eat your neighbors, but it's eat with your name. You know what I mean? Eat, eat with them. Share a meal with them. So listen and eat. So this week, here's our encouragement. Here's our action step. 
Make some time. As you pray for your neighbors by name, make some time. Look for opportunities to spend a little time with a neighbor you don't know well. That may be five minutes in the yard, asking them a question or two. Hey, how are your kids? How are your grandkids? And then just listening. It may be grabbing a meal with them. Some of you may go crazy and actually invite a neighbor over to eat. I know that's nuts, but some of you may do that. I know one person in my life group that's about to do like a brunch thing and invite her neighbors to it. You may go all the way and really bring them in and try to build a relationship. But my challenge, the step that I want you to take is just to spend a little bit of time with a neighbor that you don't know well. That's the action step, moving towards the L and the E in bless. Listen, I know there are barriers. I know that this is, this is sometimes difficult. I get that. I get that it seems like we don't have enough time and, and it seems like it's too hard and those become excuses. Man, I'm just like you. I'm in the same fight with you, struggling the same way you are. I absolutely get it. But let me just encourage us one more time with this thing to not allow those excuses to stop you from all that God has for you. Because I promise it's worth it. And my kids sometimes take what I say as a suggestion, you know, instead of a command. Sometimes it's like a chore, like go clean your room or do the dishes and they don't want to do that and they give excuses. But sometimes it's more like don't come next to the stove right now because it's hot or don't play out in the street because that's where the cars are. Or like, you know, last week or two weeks ago at the lake, it was like, hey, don't swing that fishing pole like this next to your sister's head because there's a hook on it, you know. Sometimes I'm just trying to get them not to die. Sometimes I'm not, I'm not trying to like take life away from them. I'm trying to lead them to life. It's the same thing with Jesus. Listen, the great commandment is just that. It's a commandment. But it's not to take life away from you. It's to lead you to life. Luke 10, the lawyer goes, hey, listen, the answer to eternal life is to love God with all that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus goes, correct. Do this and you'll live. That is a promise Jesus longs to deliver on. Two hinges on a door that leads to life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness, your mercy. Thank you that you call us to greater things because you are greater in us. God, we're so thankful. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, just real quickly, because we're running out of time, I just want to give you a decision moment. You don't even have to raise your hand or anything. I just want you to take just five seconds and just make a decision. Is this, is this real? Is this love your neighbor as yourself thing and reach out to your literal neighbor? Is this something in the Bible or not? And if it is, I'm, I'm inviting you to make a decision that it's not a suggestion and that it leads to life and, and make that decision to take those action steps. Find out some neighbor's names and begin praying for them. That was last week.
And then spend some time with a neighbor you don't know well this week. Start working towards that B-L-E-S-S that we talked about. Lord, I just ask that you would lead us and guide us, embolden us to be a light in a dark place, to reach out to our neighbors, those that we office next to, those that we listen next to in class, those that are in the dorms next to us, those that are in the houses next to us. Lord, help us to be a light where you've placed us, sovereignly and providentially. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.